Welcome to the Just Left to Be Dangerous podcast. I'm Ian. I'm Nick. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the yield curve, what it is, how it works as a recession indicator, reverse repo, why that uptick happened, what it even is, and observations on decreases in savings, increases in credit card debt, and decreases in MBS, which is mortgage-backed security. So well-known for perhaps not the best of reasons. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so we're going to jump in with our uh, lead topic, the yield curve. Uh, do you want to go ahead and talk about, you know, general? Sure, yeah. So giving some background here. So first of all, what is this yield, yield curve that we're talking about? Um, basically, the curve itself is the graph of the interest rate of a treasury note, bond, whatever, versus the length uh, over which the bond is for. Um, so normally this sort of looks like a sideways S almost where you've got a, or well, a compressed S where you've got a very slight, um, very low amount on the, you know, very short term bonds. Uh, it increases when you get into like the multi-year and then it kind of plateaus out again, once you hit the 10 30 year bonds, um, that itself is not what's generally used in most, uh, analysis though. What's generally used is the spread. Um, specifically it's the spread between some relatively short term, uh, instrument. So three, three month, year or three, three months to three year versus, year. Versus, yeah. something, um, versus some longer term thing, which could Ten be year, -ish. Year. Yeah. um, there's some, which actually do, uh, or th there's one kind of method, which uses a three month yield versus an expected 18 month in the future, three month yield. Which is a bit confusing, but it seems to actually be the most accurate of the analyses that I've seen. So sort of worth mentioning. Um, but yeah, so like that's kind of the premise to get started. Um, you brought this up originally. Yeah, sure. So what's interesting about it is it's been used as an indicator for every recession that we've had uh, going back, you know, since like 100 years ago or something of that. Um, it's been an accurate predictor for all but one, which was in 1967, which wasn't even termed as a recession. It was termed as more of a credit crunch. Um, and it's only recently, uh, been kind of weird. It, it inverted and we'll get to, we'll talk about what that means in a second. In 2019, we didn't have a recession in 2019, but we did have a global pandemic and some weird financial, uh, trickery. And I don't know, uh, <laughs> there's like, things happen. weird things have happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, so thought it'd be interesting to bring up and discuss, you know, given that it is an indicator for recession, given that that indicator was sounding off in 2019. Now we're only seeing a potential recession three years later. What happened there? Uh, how we are where we are now? Why we didn't see a recession a few quarters after that inversion in 2019? Uh, and I guess what even is an inversion? Yep. So, uh, oh, yeah. So an inversion is basically when your short-term uh, yield rates are higher than your long-term yield rates. Uh, so basically, uh, higher long-term yield rates signifies stronger economic expansion and growth. When those slow down and short-term increases, short-term is usually an indicator of like uh, hedging or, or something of that nature for your money. Yep. Yep. Um, it, it's also worth noting, so I forgot to mention this at the top, um, this spread is generally used to predict something basically happening within the next couple of years. It's a very vague indicator. Normally it happens within a year or so of it in yeah. which is where it goes negative, like you were yep. saying. Um, but it's not really, it's, it's very, not very much, not like a hard metric of right. things that might happen in one year. Right. I, I've seen, I, from what I've been seeing, I've been seeing three to six quarters. Yeah. Is that yeah, a exactly. kind of time frame? Um, okay. So, you know, like I was saying, so the yield curve in 2019, uh, had inverted, uh, for a few, for a month or two, uh, and it was, uh, 
not a steep inversion. It wasn't, it wasn't steeply negative. The short-term rates weren't that much higher, but every time that inversion has happened where that curve inverts, um, we have seen that recession. Now that didn't happen. COVID hit six months six later. Months ago, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when COVID first started, we saw an immediate stop of economic, um, every, everything. everything. Yeah. 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 All, all tour, all types of activity slowed down and the fed got involved. And the U.S. government got involved and stimulus was injected not just to the general public, but also into various markets uh, to keep the uh, gears moving, so to speak. So, you know, from what we've been seeing, Nick, you know, do you think it's fair to say that we should have had a recession in 2019 or you think there should have been a recession? We managed to push it off because of other events happening in the amount of stimulus yeah, so I'm just based on that alone, I it seems like we should have had something at the very least. Again, maybe it wasn't going to be a full-on recession, you know, as would be formally classified. It could have been some other just crunch. Um, not COVID, right? But it seems like we should have been due for something. Um, this, and I think there was also just a little bit of general economic tension, right? It definitely hadn't reached a boiling point, I would say, where it feels like it's going now. Um, but something should have happened, it feels like. Right. Um, in figures, let's say summer of 2020. Right. COVID notwithstanding. Right. And it's interesting because, like I said, there's only been uh, one real recession so far that uh, the, the yield curve was not used for predicting yep. the 1967 credit crunch. Uh, this would be the second time, but it seems like we may have artificially staved off whatever was coming, crunch, recession, whatever yep. you want to term it, uh, because of this other event that happened. So... It's interesting because really an event that was, you know, indicative of, so the yield curve inverting would have had something happen a year later, uh, roughly, right? We don't, we don't yeah. know for sure. It's like you said, it's a loose indicator, but we managed to push it back by a few years and now the bill is coming down. Yeah. yeah and, and I feel like this sort of correlates to something. I think it was last podcast where I was like, it feels like a lot of things may have just been kind of staved off and like, we're just getting back to where we were coming back, like coming out of COVID right now. Right. You know, markets are kind of reaching the levels that they were, and we're seeing some kind of odd behavior, if that's if that's really the term. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later with some of the other observations that I run across on Fred. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like something should have happened, and maybe this kind of looming recession that a lot of people are talking about is really just like the delayed impact of that. Right. Because as far as I know, the um, the rate or the spread right now doesn't it's not really negative it's like kind of normal it, 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 yeah it's, it's hovering around uh, 1.3 percent is what i've yeah. seen okay yeah so yeah so like based on that it doesn't seem like we should be anything we should be expecting anything right now but again you know maybe all of the shenanigans that went on during uh during covid just kind of shifted any impact that we were supposed to see let's call it two years ago right. in summer of 2020 on to now when things are kind of returning to normal in air right. And it's, you know, it's worth mentioning. It's interesting, right? Like a lot of this kind of crazy amount of money we've seen floating around the economy, both for people and businesses is not the norm. And it, no. it, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of the cases right now, what we're seeing is a return to like 2018, 2019 levels. And you have media pushing this as the end of the world. But the reality is this is just normalizing. This is you know, when, when those stimulus packages went through both for, you know, market liquidity and for personal liquidity, um, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, right. That was an unprecedented move by our government and unprecedented involvement by our federal bank in the economic system. Yep. So 
that kind of leads us to our next topic. Um, unless you have anything else you want to talk about. I, I don't. I we, we had talked about this during just before without spending potentially years reading into a lot of academia. There's like, it's really hard to get a sense of. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. It's hard to get a sense more about how the curve uh, accurately tracks these types of things. It, it, it is it is one of the many indicators. It is not, you know, a hundred percent prescient. It's very loose. Yep. It's just something to pay attention to. Yep. It's not the end all be all of like, yep, there's going to be a recession. And well, one other thing kind of based on that, I just thought of uh, once again, no, I've said this before. I feel like this could also be one of those things where because it's been established as a thing that's relatively decent at predicting a recession that just kind of because people observe that results in a downturn just because, well, this thing that's been in the past accurate is now saying it again. Right. So, right. You know, a lot self-inflicted. Yeah, no, exactly. It, as we've been learning, a lot of economic activity is actually predicated on people's perception yep. of the system yep. and maybe not the actual, you know, actual events uh, that are happening. Yeah. Or that have happened. You know, yeah. Or yeah. that have happened. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so this leads us into our second topic. Uh, so that topic is reverse repo. Uh, what is repo in general? What is reverse repo? Uh, why is it increased? Uh, why is liquidity in the repo market increased by about $2 trillion in the last three years? Why is that special, right? Why is this kind of unprecedented? Um, that is, you know, your topic. So yep. if you want to start with. Surely. Yeah. So repo, what does the term mean? Uh, just in short for repurchase agreement. So normally that would be a party buying some security with an agreement to resell them at a later date for some, you know, marginal, uh, interest. Reverse repo is a party selling the security with an agreement to repurchase it at a later date. So in this case, when we're talking about reverse repo here, where it sort of implied the Fed Reserve reverse repo um, is selling these securities, T-bills, T-bonds, T-notes, uh, with an agreement to repurchase them later. Most of the time, we're also talking about overnight. So this is incredibly short term, just kind of stashing money yeah. away yeah. one way or the yeah. other. The, the, the purpose of repo in general is to keep liquidity in the market, give the ability for people to buy debt, transact debt. Yeah. Uh, it's basically, you can think of it as the, the engine uh, cycle for the economy. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping things moving so they don't just stop. Yeah. Um, now, I, what I'll additionally say to that, right, this repo agreement and basically the reverse uh, repo it's so unprecedented before 2019, the Fed was not the majority driver for repo, right? That market was kind of handled uh, in between bank organizations themselves privately. Yep. privately. Um, in 2019, when the, there, so in 2019, in, I think I said it was September of 2019, there was an issue that happened in our market where the interest rates on these various, um, what would I call them? Interest rates, security, securities. Yeah. The interest rates on these securities shot up to like 10%. There was a kind of a perfect storm of events that happened. I won't go deeply into the details, but there were some like securities taken out. There were things put back in, but the market didn't have the money to cover this and interest rate shot up and, uh, all this like interbank kind of trading and buying stopped. Um, so to restore normalcy to the market, the fed injected a bunch of money. Uh, it was $55 billion, uh, into the repo market to increase liquidity and to restore the natural cycle of the repo and reverse repo function. Um, yep. I just want to say too, this is also not that directly, but the kind of halting of this liquidity mechanism was also an issue in the middle of the 08 crisis when the, like when, um, well, when the big thing started to fail, basically yep. 
all the banks just seized up effectively yeah. there overnight. And so, and that just wrecked havoc on it. Right. And, we did, and, and back then the Fed did not get involved and there wasn't this mechanism to actually restore that engine, that liquidity. Yep. And because of that, like Nick just said, a bunch of bad things happened to many people. <laughs> to many, many people. Many people. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So then we, you know, fast forward from that 2019, that, you know, quote unquote glitch in the market happened. The Fed steps in, they rectify the situation, liquidity, liquidity and confidence is restored. The economy is moving along. Uh, things return to normal, uh, code, well, quote unquote normal. Oh, yeah. COVID happens. Uh, we see lower spending, lower confidence, economic transactions and trade freeze. Um, same issue happens. Congress has a conversation. The Fed has a conversation. Those bills pass. Stimulus is approved. The Fed decides to, or so two point, I think, uh, what was the first stimulus was like 1.5 trillion and the second stimulus was like 2 trillion. Yeah. So this money wasn't just injected into the economy and it's actually, they didn't create money from thin air like a lot of people believe. What happened here was the Fed effectively lended money to all of these banks uh, at some interest rate that would have to be repaid in a short order to keep lending up from these banks for people, for mortgages, for business loans, for interbank loans, for, for every single thing that happens in the economy yeah. effectively. Yeah. So those were structured over a few separate months. Uh, there was like a two month program, a one month program. Uh, the first stimulus of 1.5 trillion ended in February 9th of that year. That was the last time, uh, the last involvement. From that point into the second stimulus was quiet. The Fed did not get involved. In that second stimulus, they again injected liquidity into the market. Uh, and ever since then, the Fed has kind of, while they're not, they're not generating these loans anymore, but the loans that have been generated are circulating within the system still. And you can see that representation on the reverse repo graph, for instance, by about $2 trillion of activity cycling around the repo markets. Now, why does the Fed do this in the first place? What is their point for doing this? Besides just to keep economic stability, what is the main effect of this? What happens to interest rates? Now, repo and reverse repo are mechanisms to keep the rates from going to zero. Uh, just like um, increasing interest rates in other areas is the mechanism for making go up. The repo and reverse repo just make sure they don't go too low. Um, so it's all keep things basically threading the needle in the center. One thing that I believe I saw, and don't quote me on this, but I believe I saw at some point in the middle of all this, um, the private, uh, the kind of private repo facilities ended up with a slightly negative interest rate, which was also a big premise for this, because even back, even back before we saw this take off, the Fed's overnight stuff was at 0%, which is yes. still better than negative. <laughs> yes. So, and actually, you know, to your point uh, about that 0%, you had asked me earlier, just like an offhand conversation, like why did this activity increase so much? So if you actually look at it right now, there was a point in time where the Fed uh, increased the amount that banks are allowed to engage in this repo to $80 billion. Yes. And they also increased the interest rate from 0% to 0.05%, yeah. which means banks that have all this extra cash lying around are actually better off parking this money with the Fed so it can grow until the Fed repays on those loans and vice versa. Um, so that's what has actually been a mass driver of the increase in that repo activity between those banks and the Fed, which inadvertently has given the Fed greater control over these interest rates and tightening control over the economy. Um, and it's very different from how the Fed used to be. They're very hands-off. Like we said, they didn't interact in 2008. They saw the crisis. They saw what it did. They said, hey, we're going to take a more active role in this, prevent crises like this from happening. Uh, the downsides of this are not yet necessarily known. I think we kind of started seeing it with the inflation going up. Um, that's one effect. Uh, they had the lever to control for it, though. 
but really they're playing a game here where they have like two sticks. It's Pong. Yep. You have two sticks and, 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 and inflation. Well, I guess there's two balls, inflation and interest. And they're basically hitting these balls back and forth and trying to keep them centered. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a very, very tricky game to play, yeah. like regardless of how you look at it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, lots of companies, more companies now than ever with the ability to put more money than ever into this overnight repo market. That's mainly been the driver. The rates are also like still steadily kind of on the up and up. So it's kind of a, again, like a self-fulfilling thing, more money in. Rates are still continuing to rate rise because they're once again based on the Fed's like general rate. Um, and there is, I believe, I saw quoted around $5 trillion where the, that's basically the upper limit of what it could be because at that point, that is all the securities that the Fed has. Just <laughs> so, so there's still room for it to go up further. However, I find it still kind of crazy that we've gone from effectively zero, we're talking like under a billion dollars yeah. overnight yeah. to two and a half trillion in the course of, I think, a year and a half yep. at this point. Yep. So, you, you can even say before that, right, that one instance where they put 55 billion in and like 55 X their involvement. Yep. At yes. Yeah, exactly. Today, like, <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, it, it, the, the interesting side effect here, right, is that as of this, the Fed is now the biggest trader in repo. Um, so the economy to a large extent depends on the Fed for liquidity. Yep. Yeah. Now, now more than ever, potentially. So again, I don't know if this is necessarily a position they wanted to be in, yeah. but they are now very much in a new position for them. Yeah. Um, we'll see how that plays out. Yep. What's, what's that? What's that? Um, there's, there's a, there's a movie that was created about 2008 and he's like, my job is to listen to the music. And right now I don't hear anything. Um, yes. I know which one you're talking about. I'm blanking on the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, regardless. Yeah. At this moment, I believe music is still playing, but, uh. Nick and I won't be the first ones to know that. Yeah, so whoever, whoever is the Fed, whoever, whoever the Fed chair is, will be the first to know when our economy is about to die. Like that. How? Yeah, Bal. Yeah, Bal. That was the message. Yeah, Bal sent us a message. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's about all I've got on it. Um, it, it's again just kind of crazy how much money is floating around in there where there just hasn't been before. Well, yeah, it's, it's money where it has been floating around, but also control given to the Fed. Over yes, the in, that, in a different yeah, way. In a yeah. different way. Yeah. You you mentioned it earlier, and it was like, um, you know, they only control the interest rate, but the reality is the interest rate controls pretty much everything else in the economy. Yeah. So even though they have an indirect effect, they can't prescribe things. They effectively are able to control things just by yeah. tightening or loosening those rates. Yeah. And we're seeing that effect immediately right now with the potential recession, with the, with the, you know, I, I, I work in real estate and I made a joke a few uh, podcasts ago about making sure I could keep my job. Well, last week they had layoffs at my business because uh, the market has been down uh, or demand for the market, the demand's been down something like 17 or 20% uh, off of like projections. And with interest rates increasing, mortgage rates are increasing, uh, consumer interest in mortgages have dropped significantly, right? Though the whole market got turned on a head in about two months. Yep. Yep. And just like that. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy how fast things move in, you know, what you normally think of as a, well, you'll just throw money in somewhere for like 20 years. There's no money in the, yeah, yeah, there's no things just change on a dime when you start looking at different scales. Listen to podcast number two last week to hear more about bonds, stocks, and where your money should probably be right now. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that's about all I've got for the topic. Um, there's definitely some more detail that we could go into, but. 
not again the the original thing that i saw was yeah someone raised the yeah. point that like this is weird and different and it's like oh yeah that yeah. is weird and different i guess, I, I guess you know for for consumer for, for consumers like what does it in general mean for them which sure, 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 sure. what does that translate into yeah so uh, to be quite frank not a ton directly uh these are all massive massive companies think like large money market funds uh government sponsored enterprises yeah things that are you know dumping literally tens of billions of dollars around um you know it, it maybe you could argue is providing again a bit more it, it is setting the floor for your uh, for the uh not inflation for your interest rates um so you know we've seen this personally your savings accounts are going up right now not even directly because of this but again just because like the fed's controlling the interest rate and as a side effect that's also funneling money into this reverse repo thing just because it also is well based on that interest rate just uh, i think it's 10 basis points down so 0.1 yep. percent down yep uh from the nominal rate so yep. yeah anyways not much in charge yep. but it's an yeah. interesting not, topic not so, much directly yes. though yes. yeah lending rates and things like that are affected by this indirectly yes. but and that's why it's worth mentioning yep just one of those like side effects of the complexity of the system yep yeah uh, the, the second derivative yeah exactly <laughs> the second derivative effectively for the normal consumer uh, okay, cool. You know, uh, given that, you know, our, our third topic for day, you know, you brought this one up as well. So you were saying you were seeing uh, in your observations, there were decreases in savings, increases in credit card debt outstanding, uh, decreases in people purchasing mortgage-backed securities. You know, do you want to discuss those things, tie them together? Yes. Read the narrative on why these things are... Sure thing. Budgeting. Yeah. So the, once again, looking around on Fred, and there were a couple of interesting graphs that just came up that I thought would be interesting to just kind of do some open-ended discussion about. So the first one is the total rate of, or the total amount really in individual savings accounts. Um, this has been relatively steadily increasing until we had COVID. It spiked massively during COVID. And since call it April, May of last year, it's actually been on a relatively sharp downturn. Uh, we're talking about from peaks in the like five trillion dollars to down to like eight hundred billion, right? So we're down multiple, like well, at least one order of magnitude. Um, the really interesting part though is again how fastly that's coming back down. Um, and then combining that with the total amount of credit cards and other revolving loans, effectively, which dipped during the pandemic, as you might expect, less spending, but has since seen effectively a complete resurgence to pre-COVID levels. So well, the reason I think that's kind of interesting is, and from everything we've seen, there's not really been a decrease in consumer appetite yet, right? There's been a higher, sharp increase in spending, mainly just due to inflation. Um, but what this seems to indicate to me is people are still spending a lot of money and it's starting to load onto credit cards more than coming out of yep. kind of hard cash that people yep. have. Yep. Yep. The concern here being that, you know, people because of inflation, because of other reasons, because of jobs are not actually having the money where they can spend, but they still need to spend, you know, for the crucials, but those crucials are becoming or necessities are being put on their credit cards. And what this means is that like, yeah, this is staved off, but there's going to be a drop out at the bottom here. Um, and, it, and again, we are not experts and we're not trying to prescribe anything. We're just saying this is interesting, you know, observation, credit card debt's going really up. That can only go for so long. Yep. Most people don't have really extensive credit limits and most people don't have the means to repay that credit. So, you know, the trade, the, 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 the buck is going to stop. Yeah. Things are going to happen. Yep. The, the, as you said before, the music will stop eventually. Right. So, yeah. 
Um, going along with that too, one other, one other graph that was kind of interesting to see was uh, the total amount of mortgage-backed securities that uh, commercial banks are buying and selling. This is historically, and I say historically here, this is basically tracked from 08 onwards, call it. Uh, so not a ton of data, but enough. Uh, it's been relatively consistently increasing, right? It's, it's a pretty nice diagonal line. Again, until you hit COVID. Then it spiked up a little bit, and now it's actually plateaued and is starting to come back down slightly. Which, again, to me, this is interesting because it means maybe there's, well, either there's less of an appetite for mortgage-backed securities, which, you know, in and of itself could be interesting, potentially um, recalling memories from 08, basically. Um, or, as I think you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about this, maybe there's just less going around because, as you said, just the number of houses being sold is down. Right, yeah. So so I, I had mentioned this earlier, like, my industry currently in real estate, what we're seeing there is interest going up, mortgages are going up, uh, people are less, you know, interested in purchasing mortgages, right? And since there's less mortgages being purchased, there's less being packaged, right? There's less securities being traded and backed in this mortgages. Uh, that's a worry. That's a bit of a worrying predictor for my own personal yes. reasons, uh, because that would seem to signify that there's not a lot of confidence in the real estate market. Um, I don't think they're wrong necessarily. Like I'm not seeing any positive indicators right now around that. Uh, you know, one thing I will mention, you know, is I told you, I, or, well, I told you I would tell you during the podcast. Yes. Um, I talked to my mother earlier and, you know, one thing I'm saying is I feel like the media narrative is being like, oh, this is crazy. Like, you know, oh, we're up to 6% mortgages. My grandmother paid 11% on her mortgage when they first bought the house like 50 years ago, right? Yes. So 11% is kind of high, but it was normal. And my parents bought their house at like 6%. So at 6% was 2018 in terms of pricing. So we're really not, like, we have not, we're not regressing, right? 2018 and 2019 were just periods of normalcy before the world was completely upended or economic systems were broken by the fact that nobody was going out and spending. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, it's kind of the opposite of saying like, oh yeah, man, you know, coming out of 2008, 2009, things were, things were getting really cheap or uh, really expensive. Like, it, no, it's like, it's just a return to how it was. It's just the past year is completely like thrown yeah, out there yeah, mind yeah. what's normal yeah at this point. yeah i think i think i think if there's one point you should take away from this podcast is that like the last three years is what was the not normal part the yes. free cash flowing yeah. the the businesses being able to get capital for basically bottom barrel interest prices you know the number of businesses that spun up the number of people who have just been able to get houses at like ridiculous valuations that's the not normal part yeah and regardless of what everyone else wants you to think 2018 2019 six percent interest that was the normal part it might not be great for businesses that can't thrive on that old model, but that was the normal model. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's not normal for a lot of these tech stocks to be going up by, you know, 300% over the course of a year or something like we saw then. They're crashing back down now, but again, it's not really crashing. It's just returning to what they would have been. Yeah, yeah even, even in commodities and things yeah. like that. It's not just tech stocks. It's yeah, just, no, no. I mean, across it, the economy. I feel like that's just the very, like, that's one of the most embodying things that everyone, or. I say everyone, a lot of people have heard about, you know, like Tesla going through the roof right. for very little reason, if you yeah. ask me, right. Yeah. You know, and, and that kind of stuff where it's, it's absurd, but it's not, that's, that's not, that's not the normal. That is, and, yeah, it's not crash. The, it's not, not that they're really crashing. It's that they're sort of returning to like yeah. the same level. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, there, there's a lot of, a lot of things that happening over the last 10 years in these areas where like that kind of like free money and stuff was happening, but it wasn't to the extreme. COVID completely upended that. Yep. And even if eventually that kind of like loose capital environment we had seen had crashed down, 
COVID accelerated that and the crash that's happening now was also an acceleration and probably something that was due to happen anyway that we've just been trying to save off because our government and specifically the Fed and, you know, other, um, other regulatory institutions are, are interested in preventing financial crashes, yep. regardless of whether or not they happen. And they do because our system is a circular, a, a secular system. There's a cycle. Yep. Yep. It, it will eventually happen. Just a matter of when and how badly. Well, so secular is not a word. It's like, not. I, it's, yeah, I, what yeah. I was like, I was like, I was like, what is it? Like, it's the circle. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. Um, all right. So I think that those were all the graphs that I had. Um, yeah. I will once again, just say Fred's a really interesting resource. They have so, so many data points. They've got, you know, like the list of just the most popular things that people have been looking yeah. at too. So if you just want to like see something, be like, huh, yeah, that's what yeah. causes that. It's a great place to start questioning stuff, I guess. It is. It is. Uh, okay. So uh, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some housekeeping topics quick here. So, you know, Nick and I have discussed this and we think given that, you know, economic news on a weekly basis, isn't all that like, there's not a lot of crazy moves happening. We think moving to a bi-weekly format is probably better for the podcast in terms of content. I'm sure you could even see from this one, we had much more interesting, you know, topics that we were discussing and they're a little more fleshed out. Um, beyond that, we're going to be starting more of what we would term like evergreen or like learner's knowledge cycles. So like, you know, we're going to dive into like, um, options, options, yeah, options, trading, what they are, you know, maybe for some more like financial topics and explain them from a learner's perspective. Uh, it's gonna, we're, we're gonna attempt to kind of mix both current events and these learners, uh, learner information. And with the two week cycle, it's giving us some opportunity to basically be like, Hey, if a really exciting and by exciting, I, I'm not describing good or bad. It just means exciting. Yep. But if an exciting economic event happens, we can actually call an audible and record for that. We can produce an episode uh, about those things. So, so if you were interested in hearing us weekly, we're moving to bi-weekly. We hope you stick with us. We think it'll be more interesting for everyone involved. Yep. Gives us more time to research more, cover a bit more. Hopefully it'll be worth it long. Yep. And uh, this has been the Just Enough to be Dangerous podcast. I'm Ian. I'm Nick. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.